They dropped the hanky and some strict new state laws. The fact is that it will lead to fewer people being able to vote. New election laws, voting by mail will be harder. Stiff penalties for protests that turn violent. Expanded school voucher programs get a surprise addition. Oh yeah, we're gonna protect our girls. This is a dark day for transgender people in Florida. Key West vote to limit cruise visits reversed. We believe that, that cruise ships do do damage. In Miami-Dade, a school scandal over vaccinations. It is an experiment right now. We are all part of the research. This is not the kind of attention I want to have for our district. This is all blown out of proportion. I, I cannot and will not put myself above the needs of this district. In Broward, the superintendent stepping aside. But how and at what cost? We will move this district forward. One step in the healing process for me and one step towards accountability for me. The big news of the week live this week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg, and we begin today with the end. Florida lawmakers wrapped up the two-month session with a scorecard of wins for the governor's big priorities, some with an 11th-hour strategy to get around the opposition. Thanks to a reviving state economy and the American Rescue Plan, lawmakers also had money to spend. They passed a record $101 billion state budget. Two South Florida lawmakers join us now to talk about what that session accomplished and what it did not. State Senator Ana Maria Rodriguez is a Republican, represents Miami-Dade and Monroe counties. State Representative Bobby DeBose is a Democrat from Broward, co-leader of the House Democrats. To both of you, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Great to see you. If we can, let's begin with sort of, I think, a big picture question, and that is, what was the real notable achievement, if there was one, in this session of the legislature? Senator Rodriguez, what do you think it was? Well, I think that uh, one of the most notable uh, achievements of this legislative session is record funding for environmental projects. Uh, as we know, Florida is an environmentally sensitive state all the way from the panhandle down to the Florida Keys. And so I think that the, the fact that we have invested so much money into uh, coral reef uh, restoration, uh, into sea level rise, um, into uh, Everglades restoration uh, at, at the, to the tune of uh, almost $700 million in that alone uh, speaks volumes. The fact that we invested $20 million in Biscayne Bay restoration, as well as $20 million in the Florida Keys Stewardship Act. Uh, all of those projects um, are going to uh, take our, our state uh, into a much bit um, better and brighter course, um, even though, as we know, in the past, the governor has already uh, made the environment a priority. But I think that that would be one of our most notable achievements for this legislative session. I want you to know that you, Michael won bingo. That's exactly what Michael <laughs> said before we went on the air. Bobby DuBose, what do you think? Uh, I would take a broad approach, and uh, I would say uh, the budget, I mean, although we, there are areas, obviously, we could have gone further. But thanks to the current administration, President Biden, uh, as it was noted, the American Rescue Plan uh, helped us to achieve those things. But I think I would also add um, something that was probably key in my district was uh, police reform, although it didn't go far enough, but at least it sets us in the uh, right posture moving forward. 
Yeah, Representative DuBose, on that police reform bill, which both the House and the Senate approved overwhelmingly, sent to the governor, he has given no indication about whether he is going to sign it or not. What do you think he's going to do? Um, I think he's going to sign it. I think a lot of uh, his priorities were set up for uh, his upcoming run. And so this is one that I think would definitely um, help that narrative. Let's get into some bills, shall we? And I think one of the most controversial bills that uh, that came through was the, it's called Elections Administration. It was so controversial because it changes and tightens a lot of the rules around voting after what all agree is a Florida election that was flawless and a model for the nation. Anna Maria Rodriguez, Senator Rodriguez, you, um, I, I'm just going to launch this out there. There was a problem with elections in that there were shill candidates planted. Mm -hmm. One of them was in your race. It did not affect your win whatsoever. You won uh, by far past the margin that that shill candidate got. Uh, there is an amendment in that to prevent someone running from a shill changing uh, his or her party to no party affiliation. Uh, immediately before the election. That was the one amendment that was put in this bill. What do you um, think of this election bill that sort of tightens the rules around absentee ballot, vote by mail, uh, who can be with people at the polls? There's some pretty stringent restrictions in there. Yes, Glenna, um, that's, that's a great point. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful that through the hard work of our campaign, we did win by a 13-point margin. So, uh, as you said, the uh, the third party candidate really did not have an impact in my particular race. Uh, but going back to the, the subject of the bill, um, I think the bill does a very good job at making it um, equitable for Floridians to, to vote in elections. Um, it's important for people to have to show, for example, photo ID when they vote. Um, you know, and so many things that we do in our everyday lives, like boarding an airplane or purchasing alcohol or any number of things that we do, um, you do have to show a photo ID. So I think that's a, a step in the right direction. I also think that the fact that you would have to, you know, order an absentee ballot, you know, two years in advance, a lot can happen in two years. You know, people move, uh, unfortunately, you know, some people pass away, a lot of things change. And so um, having an open request for an absentee ballot for such a long period of time is really not uh, the most responsible way to handle that type of voting. Long, so excuse me, but Senator, a long period of time, two election cycles is the way it has been working for the last several years. And uh, it seems to have worked pretty well. The election supervisors, in fact, like it because, you know, they don't have to process a couple of hundred thousand applications here in South Florida. Uh, every year when people apply for an absentee ballot. Yes, Michael, but I think in terms of um, having accuracy, uh, the shorter time period is definitely the way to go. And so I, I fully support um, having a shorter time frame, even if it does require a little more effort and a little more work on the part of the local elections department. Uh, I think that having accurate election results supersedes um, you know, anything else uh, in terms of the election, um, the election bill. So, yeah. Representative DuBose, the opposition to this bill was right along party lines. And the Democrats and the opposition, the headline was, this is going to make it harder for people mm -hmm. to vote. Some of the more onerous uh, restrictions were stripped of the bill before it was passed in both the House and Senate. But give a couple of examples. Why, why do you think this makes it harder to vote? Shouldn't people 
have a fair playing field and do what they need to do responsibly to get their vote in? What, what are some specifics on that? Uh, uh, absolutely. I just, you know, I want to lead out by saying, you know, in the past, Florida is always, you know, the state everyone's w waiting on and things that happen and we end up being the joke around elections in this last election and my colleagues across the aisle and, and the governor are saying how great and it's a gold, gold standard and then we come in and we start adding things that restrict, in my opinion, uh, individuals' rights to vote. So limit the number of ballots that someone can turn in, uh, extend this 150 feet in, in regards to being able to give people water and, and things of that nature. But let, let me just, I, I'm sorry boxes. to interrupt, but that's the, the bill says the 150-foot buffer is not about water, it's about campaigning. And, and that's in place right now, or was in place right now for 100 feet around. They just extended right. it to 150. Exactly. But that's about and campaigning, not, not food and water. But my, my point about that is it's always uh, an extension of. So we, we had laws in place and we had a very successful uh, election process. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to point out the things that I find to be very problematic. Also, I just before time, I want to talk about the limitation on the drop boxes. You know, they're, they're limited to uh, the early voting time. They must be manned. Um, also, there's a $25,000 fine that's placed on our supervisor elections if they're not compliant, which may put some of them in a posture of not having these drop boxes uh, readily available. And then also um, just uh, uh, a big piece of this legislation that most folks are talking about is the power grab that was put in there for the governor. Um, so and it relates to the um, resign to run law. And so right now as it stands, so you know we have a lot of elections in Broward and currently resign to run our county commissioners that are resigning that would have a special election. But this bill just put language in there that allows the governor to make those appointments. Once again, we're taking away from uh, people to vote for who they want to represent them. Yeah. Uh, Senator Rodriguez, uh, you represent proudly the Florida Keys uh, in your district, Key West. As you know, last November, uh, voters down there by about 60 percent approved a referendum that said that they wanted to limit the size and number of cruise ships that came into port. Well, your colleagues in the Republican colleagues uh, in the legislature uh, just reversed that and said that, uh, in fact, Key West had no power to regulate the size or number of the cruise ships. Uh, I mean, that seems like just simply a slap in the face of the people of Key West. How do you see that? Well, Michael, I just want to remind the viewers that um, through the committee process and uh, on the floor of the Senate, I voted every single time against this bill. Um, I think that it goes against home rule and uh, the will of the voters of Key West that voted um, to limit the size of the ships. Um, however, in, in terms of what my colleagues were thinking and what their perspective was, um, I think what they're trying to do and the objective of the legislation was to prevent this from happening in other ports around the state of Florida. As we all know, uh, ports have uh, interstate, um, international impact for that matter. Uh, and so limiting sh the size of ships or taking other 
um, uh, measures that, that limit the amount of commerce that, uh, that a port can do uh, is something that would have a detrimental impact around the entire state and possibly to the entire country you know, because we, of uh, the number of ports that we have. But I fully supported, I was fully against this legislation. Yeah, you were one of the few Republicans who voted no. Um, to your point, this is a pretty broad bill, but in the local preemption department, it was pretty narrowly crafted to Key West Port. But we're going to take a quick break. Let, let's pick this discussion up when we come right back. Stay tuned. We are talking Tallahassee with Santa Maria Rodriguez, Senator from Miami-Dade, and Bobby DeBose, Representative from Broward. We just pick up on the Key West port bill in, in sort of the bigger umbrella issue. This uh, senator was one of the bills that is preempting local control. There's a few more of those. Uh, from that perspective, how problematic is it that Tallahassee is taking control of local government? So um, I, I think Tallahassee um, is very measured in when it gets involved in local affairs. Um, I think my colleagues, as I was mentioning uh, before the commercial break, um, what their intention was was to basically create a framework so that other ports around the state of Florida do not take the same measures and, and take matters into their own hands to limit um, the size of the ships or the number of passengers and so on and so forth um, with regards to the 14 other ports around the state of Florida, as this could have a very negative uh, financial impact on the commerce and the international trade uh, that Florida represents in, in the United States. Bobby DuBose, do you see it that way? Well, on this one, um, I agree with uh, my colleague as relates to this bill and, um, you know, protecting home rule, but I disagree in her comment when she said that you know, uh, her colleagues are very measured as it relates to local government. Every session we see preemption and it's a top priority in every way. Every session they chip away at home rule and, and try to take away from the, the actually the people that are the closest uh, to the constituents. Uh, I've served locally and, and so did my colleague. And so we understand this uh, on this bill, we line up, however, and the explanation of uh, our colleagues, uh, I totally disagree. It's definitely something that they do every year to preempt local government. Yeah, Representative DuBose, stay with us. I want to ask you and Senator Rodriguez about really the, the big headline bill, one of them that came out of the legislature, was the so-called anti-rioting bill. And among other provisions here, it says that anybody who goes out in a demonstration and say you are or that person is peaceful, does not break any laws, but somebody else does, you could all be arrested. You could be thrown in jail over the weekend or until a judge is available. Uh, it's not a bondable offense, and you would be facing a third-degree felony. Uh, Representative Bose, so what's wrong with the anti-rioting law? Um, it's everything that's wrong. Um, I feel like it's, it's designed to have an attack on communities of color. Historically, that's this is the mechanism that we have used uh, First Amendment to pro, to peacefully protest. To uh, and in fact, I think this is part of a larger narrative that we have, and it ties into the election bill as well. And so we've used this mechanism to get the right to vote and to actually <clears throat> get more rights within this in this country. So. I think everything is wrong with that, that anti-protester bill. 
Senator Rodriguez, the Senate analysis of that bill says that it does not contain the type of language that courts found violate free speech. You know, I want to say that again just to be clear. An analysis, an objective analysis of this bill, that it does not contain any language that would infringe upon free speech, protests, etc. So how, as a supporter of this bill, how do you allay the fears of your colleagues that something about what will happen in the future will really limit their ability to speak freely, to protest, to, to march. How do you allay those fears when you read this bill? So um, I just want to reiterate the fact that, you know, we support free speech, we support protests, and we want people to go out peacefully and feel that even when they are protesting uh, against something that they do not agree with, that they, they will not be uh, swept you know, along with the people who are, you know, creating violent attacks and, and um, creating terror in our communities. Um, HB1 is a bill that upholds uh, the rule of law in the state of Florida, and it's important for people that go out to protest to know that when they are protesting, that they can do so in a peaceful way, and that those who actually want to create chaos and destroy private property and, you know, take attacks on innocent people and their private property, those are the people that will be held accountable. And that's what this legislation is about. Uh, well, that all sounds good, but I mean, let's just face it, um, people and communities of color are disproportionately, um, you know, handled differently when it comes to interaction with the police. So you. You tell me, me and my sons are out and someone else is doing something, you're going to guarantee that we're not going to get swept up in that. I don't buy that argument. I think the history of this country and how communities of color are policed um, says the counter to that statement. Uh, if we can, before we run out of time, there are other bills we want to talk about, other things the legislature did. One of them was to, at the 11th hour, pass a ban on trans girls playing organized school sports. This was stuck Senator Rodriguez into a charter school school bill, which had wide support, was going to pass. Uh, and and now these trans girls who are often bullied and ridiculed and have societal issues anyway, uh, now they won't be able to play sports. And in the course of this, I have to say, uh, not one person, not one team, not one girl came forward and said, gee, I am put at a disadvantage by having a trans girl on my soccer team or, you know, whatever team it was. Uh, what's your opinion about this ban? Uh, Michael, I think that this bill is about um, empowering girls and actually uh, creating a pathway for them to have uh, equity in sports uh, and all the different things that come from playing in sports, whether it's scholarships, whether it's you know the long-term benefits of being part of, of a team. Um, as we know, uh, trans girls um, have higher testosterone levels than uh, regular girls. And so what it does is it, it says that uh, the child that is playing in the sport has to play by the gender that's on their birth certificate. So um, these girls, these trans girls can play in co-ed sports. Um, however, uh, if it's an all-girl team, uh, then that then it's something that you know they're they're just not going to be able to. Um, and it it is proven that uh, a male that becomes a female 
um, you know, will have a competitive uh, advantage over a, an actual, you know, a, a girl that's born as a as a girl. So I believe that this is something that um, was needed and something that would actually um, empower the young women that compete yeah. so um, hard um, on, in, in their can sports. I just, uh, can I just throw out there something that I don't think has gotten a lot of press with this amendment? This is this provides parameters for trans girls to play on girls teams it's not an outright ban and it's difficult to talk about because of everyone wants to support these girls trans girls who's who live a very fragile mental health life in some respects but there is there are parameters scientifically for transgender girls when they get to a testosterone level that is on a female uh, scientific level to play bobby Debose, did you know that uh, not in that much detail, uh, but I will say on in, in regards to this bill, I mean the the base. These are children. Um, I think uh, Michael said and are you in regards to their mental uh, health. I mean just children in general in this stage in their lives, they're trying to figure things out, and you know we're dealing with high level of suicide rates, and you know we talk about trans girls, we got to talk about trans girls of color. And how they're targeted and how they're they're murdered. I mean, this is um, something that's already there. I mean, these these trans girls already participate. And so again, you know, we're we're looking for a solution where there's no problem. I mean, this is this is, they've been participating and operating. All right. Well, Representative Bobby DeVos, State Senator Anna Maria Rodriguez. Great to have you both, and I'm glad you're sure glad to be home after 60 days in Tallahassee. We appreciate your time this yes, morning. Sir. Ditto. Thank you. All right. Well, a South Florida private school is at the center of a public outroar. They are banning teachers from getting vaccinated for COVID. And one South Florida lawmaker actually tried to make that illegal and lost. He is here next. unvaccinated women being impacted and having miscarriages by being around vaccinated women. Now, I know all of this sounds crazy. School, science, and serious controversy centered this week at a private Miami school, the Sentner Academy, that moved to ban employees who had been COVID vaccinated. The Sentner Academy founder called that vaccine experimental. She claims the two employees suffered altered menstrual periods because of the vaccine and that the vaccine threatens a woman's ability to give birth. The state senator who represents that Miami district is Democrat Jason Pezzo of Northeast Miami-Dade. He tried but failed to make the school's vaccine ban illegal with an 11th hour amendment. Hello, Senator Pizzo. Good morning. Good we're, to have you with us. We're glad to have you with us. Well, take us through, if you would, Senator, sort of the narrative. You heard about this, uh, obviously, what Lila Sentner and the Academy had done, trying to ban their faculty and staff from getting the vaccine. She expressed all these skeptical doubts about it. What did you try to do in the Senate? We had the emergency management bill, uh, a package for emergency management that you spoke of in the last segment with uh, Senator Rodriguez and uh, Representative DeBose. And in that, that bill actually contained the section as it related to vaccine passports. The governor uh, pushed very hard for the legislature uh, to include a, a section of the bill that would not allow for vaccine passports uh, for free travel. 
uh, and with, with some parody based on the story that, that you guys all reported on, um, which I found to be absolute quackery, uh, we wanted to put a, a section in there as well for parody again, uh, that you can't uh, bar people from employment, from entry, from use and enjoyment to a business, a government entity, uh, or a school if you are vaccinated. So, Senator, you had a lot of your Republican colleagues voice support for this amendment. They were behind you. And then there was a tie, 19 to 19. And I guess in a tie, the rules are you lose. What happened to all that Republican support? Everyone, you know, a lot of times this session, Glenn and Michael, unfortunately, we would go to press the button and I would hear some of my Republican colleagues to my right, to my left and in front of me saying, I can't believe I have to vote for this. I can't believe I have to vote for this or I can't believe I have to vote against this. Uh, they're just they're being good soldiers. Unfortunately, they do so with the detriment of the sacrifice of, of, of constituencies as well as health and safety. On this particular issue, there were, it was 1919. There are 40 senators, uh, two Republicans from Miami-Dade alone voted against the measure uh, and uh, one didn't vote. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, let's name that uh, Senator Manny Diaz of Hialeah did not vote. Uh, did you happen to have a discussion and say, hey, Manny, you know, why were you, weren't you in the chamber? Why didn't you vote on this? We absolutely had a discussion. It's just not appropriate for Sunday television. Fair right. enough. <laughs> we will accept that. <laughs> so um, this is your district, Senator. Have you reached out to founder Lila Sentner? Have you discussed this at all with her, whether policy or her concerns? I'm just waiting to hear back. The Department of Education said it was not within their purview, uh, and I'm waiting on DCF. I spoke to the Surgeon General twice, who said we're just going to recommend CDC guidelines. Uh, I'm hoping uh, that uh, the attention will will, um, will appeal. However, I'm told that I think she's enjoying some of this uh, attention. So I am going to formally reach out with the findings or the recommendations of all three agencies, I think, that, that do have some control or some say, and, and hopefully they make the right decision about people's employment. But and I'm sure you've reported on it, but late the other day we found out that one of the teachers actually instructed her students not to hug their parents for more than five seconds if they've been vaccinated. Yes, and we actually reported on that, but I, but I will say we, we actually invited Lila Sentner here mm -hmm. today and uh, didn't hear from back, her, back from her. She sort of declined by default. Um, but I did read in other reporters' accounts that she actually criticized that teacher and I took the teacher to task for that. And, you know, again, it goes back to if you want some sort of, you know, parity between all, between all sides. Listen, I don't think we should be requiring people to be vaccinated. Obviously, we can't. Half of the military doesn't want to be vaccinated. We finally got vaccinations for people in prison. The recipiency rate there is only 50 percent as well. I'm not pushing to require anyone to be vaccinated, but surely it should not be a partisan issue uh, at this point that, that vaccination is going to get us back out of this, uh, out, of, out of a COVID lockdown. Um, and it just seems to make sense. I will tell you, um, the bill sponsor of the emergency management package is Senator Danny Burgess, uh, also the sponsor of HB1. And the issue is at the very, at the tail end of session is when you put something on, it has to go back. You change anything on a bill it has to go back to the house, and if the house changes anything, it has to go back and forth, and so on and so forth. And I, you know, I pressed and pressed on the issue, and I wondered if we had support if we sent it back to the house. Well, some of the house members, especially from Miami-Dade County, like we didn't hear anything about it, uh, so we we weren't really objecting to it. My understanding is the governor's office objected to the amendment. Uh, Senator, I watched the on the Florida Channel the debate uh, in your chamber this week on the trans girl athlete bill. 
and you spoke very passionately. At one point you got up, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but you looked at your fellow 39 senators and you said there's some people in this room who don't believe that trans people even exist. You don't think you've ever met one, you don't know one, and you are about to hurt them, you know, by passing this bill. Uh, and yet, in fact, the bill did pass. Why did it? It did because somebody pulled this somewhere, thought it was a decent idea with not enough victims sort of in a situation, that there wasn't enough public information or support or engagement. So this is perfect red meat and fodder for a campaign trail. Guys, listen, most of this session had nothing to do with improving the lives of Floridians. The last couple of days, probably a little exasperated uh, with what, what, what's gone on here this past session. I asked each and every reporter back the same question that they asked me. How, how do you think your lives have improved? by this session. What did we legislate that improved the average show? Not at all. What we did was a bunch of little bullet points and talking points. HB1 doesn't address anything that's of emergent need in Florida. We didn't do anything about housing. We didn't do anything about really about education, about mortgage foreclosures and evictions. We didn't do anything about COVID, nothing. We did absolutely nothing for the average show. We did a bunch of little snippets. So the long answer to your question, Michael, is there's been 11 trans athletes, trans girls since 2015. In six years, it's less than two people per year. But 36,000 people have died. Several million filed for unemployment or were affected by, by closures. We didn't even pass an unemployment bill to raise the unemployment amount of $100. We couldn't get the House to agree to a $100 raise. And, and we're, we're, we're fronting $4 billion for businesses that they don't have to pay into the unemployment trust fund. People should be ashamed of themselves that they were good soldiers. They did what they were supposed to do. They did so with the de detriment and surely not improving the lives of their constituents. Yeah, well, okay, we, I, we, we <laughs> should, excuse me, we should point out that Governor DeSantis, who had initially said, I know you went up to Tallahassee, spent a couple of months trying to make that unemployment compensation system work better with one of your Republican colleagues. Uh, but the governor said he didn't want the extra $100 now for uh, unemployed people in the state. Again, it, 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 it speaks to a certain level of tone deafness that that I just can't explain. I don't understand it. I mean, the law always contemplates a reasonable person, and this is just not, it's just not reasonable. And it's not about today. It's not about extending, you know, people's uh, benefits right now. It's about the next time this happens in the future. And we couldn't even get a $100 raise, which we were sold on a bad bill of goods because the Republicans in the Senate said, vote for the sales tax bill, but the money will go to the unemployment trust fund, and we have a wonderfully running concurrent bill that even Senator Gruters, the Republican Party of Florida chair, said he was going to co-sponsor, and it's a great bill to raise unemployment. So a, a bunch of us, actually, Democrats, voted yes on it because the money would principally be going to replenish the unemployment trust fund up to $4 billion, and we were sold on a bad bill of goods. This sounds like a great segment where we can invite a Republican counterpoint to that, <laughs> and maybe we'll do that in the coming weeks. Senator Jason Pizzo, always great to have you with us. Senator, thanks, thanks very so much. much. For having me. Thank you. All right, Broward School Superintendent this week offered to resign as he is fighting state perjury charges, but the immediate future for Robert Runcie and the Broward School District are far from clear. We'll drill down with school board members as this week in South Florida continues. Stay tuned. The shocking arrest of Broward County School Superintendent Robert Runcie set off a chain of events 
that has yet to play out. Runcie offered to resign this week as he fights a state perjury charge, but the terms of his departure are just beginning to be negotiated. And we'll hear from two school board members first, Lori Aladef, who was elected to the board in 2018, the very same year her daughter Alyssa was one of the 17 murdered at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Lori, we are always grateful for your time. Good to see you. Lori, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me today. We are so glad to have you. Lori, let's begin with a really dramatic moment this week that you, in fact, I know our very fine reporter Hansel Vella talked with you about and, and others have commented on, and that is when Robert Runcie turned to you at a school board meeting and said, I'm going to resign uh, to give you relief. Let's listen to the sound, if we can, of Robert Runcie saying that. If it's going to give you peace and it's going to give you and those other parents who remain angry because I don't see how there's anything else I can do. If, if it's going to give you that, I will step aside. Well, Lori, when you heard that, what did you think? So for me, it's one step in the level of accountability. It's so important when I ran for school board that there is accountability. And, you know, peace, it's, um, it's challenging for me to have peace with the death of my daughter, Alyssa, but it is one step in the healing process for me. Lori, the superintendent in the last three years has been under constant criticism when it comes to school security. Uh, so much has transpired in the three years. You saw this week, aside from last week's arrest, you saw a business community, especially Broward's black leadership, come out in his defense. Uh, talked about the graduation rates that he's achieved, talked about uh, successes, especially with marginalized students, talked a lot about education successes that the superintendent has received. How, how do you hear that? Sure, I know a lot of people um, came out to support Superintendent Runcie, but they also want to keep the status quo. And, and so as much people that come out to support him, you know, I think they're not necessarily looking at all the data we are still one point uh, below the state average for school districts. We have less A schools than um, previously went before Mr. Runcie, what became superintendent. Um, so, you know, I think that it's the protection of the status quo. Uh, Lori, at this point, uh, you and your fellow, the other eight members of the school board, are in the midst of trying to decide under which terms Mr. Runcie is going to leave the school district. And, you know, bottom line, uh, if he is able to resign, uh, he would leave with roughly $333,000 to which he is legally entitled at this point. He is innocent until proven guilty. But how is his contract written? Is there some provision in his employment contract that would say, no, if you, you know, are a, a, a commit an act of moral turpitude or a crime, you are not entitled to this money. So the board gave Chair Osgood permission to negotiate with 
an outside legal counsel and with Mr. Runcie to negotiate his contract. So that will be coming back to us on Thursday. So that clause that you speak of, I do think that is a very important clause to have in the contract. Whether it will be there on Thursday, I'm yet to see, it's yet to be seen, but at the school board, you know, can make an amendment and make that, that recommendation. This week, you had an issue to that outside counsel that Dr. Osgood, the school board chair, is going to be using to frame these negotiations. What, what was your opposition to him or her? So, um, basically, we voted on both the items, and then um, Jeff Moquin, chief of staff, said, oh, by the way, I want you to be aware that Mr. Burke has previously done business with the school board. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So I had to bring the item back and then make my comments to say, it is so vitally important that the person that is going to help Chair Osgood negotiate this contract has not previously done business with the school board. So my other colleagues agreed and they then um, hired somebody else. Uh, Lori Aladef, um your criticism of Robert Runcie is well known over the last couple of years. I think you've been measured in it. You haven't been bitter, although you may have a right to be bitter. But going forward, what is the future for the Broward County School District? Who is going to be its leader? So it's so important that we do a national search for the next superintendent and somebody that is going to be an excellent communicator somebody that is going to be able to navigate the challenges, the delays and the difficulties of our smart bond program and to stop the uh, overspending of, of projects and to be able to get that bond moving in the right direction to be able to save taxpayers you know, money, even though it is already $1.3 billion and was supposed to be $800 million. So it's already over budget. But in those, we need to be able to prevent those delays to be able to move forward. And we need to have a very strong leader as superintendent to be able to do that. Lori Aladef, thank you so much for weighing in. We will be watching all eyes on the Broward School Board this week. Thanks so much. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. And up next, one of the superintendent's longtime supporters on the school board is here with a different perspective. Donna Corn is next. Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie offered to step down when he saw he'd lost the support of even his most staunchest allies on the school board. And right now, we are going to speak with one of those allies, Donna Corn, a member of the Broward County School Board since 2012, and twice she has served as the chair. Good afternoon, Ms. Corrin, great to see you. Good afternoon, Glenn and Michael. Thank you so much for having me today. Good to have you. We, we appreciate your time, and, and Donna, sort of take us through, what was it that tripped that switch for you? Well, so um, I emphatically believe um, that all of our employees are should be afforded due process, and so, um, the path that I had suggested to my colleagues during our recent meeting was that we um, offer a, a suspension uh, with pay during the period in which Mr. Runcie would then be afforded his due process and we then as a board could come back and collectively make decisions going forward. Uh, Donna Corn, we want to emphasize we are not trying to prejudge the guilt or innocence 
here of Robert Runcie. We have known him for 10 years. He's been a guest on this program many times, and I think that we've had a good professional relationship with him. But you have too. You, you know, have been on the board since 2012. Uh, when you heard that he had been indicted by this grand jury, what did you think? What was your reaction? I was um, very surprised. Um, I have worked with Mr. Runcie, as you said, over um, these last 10 years. He's always been a very honorable man, and his focus has always been on um, the best interest of our community and our students. So it was definitely shocking. You know, a lot of the, we talked with your colleague, uh, Lori Aladef, as you know, in the last segment, uh, and there has been, so there's always been criticism of big district superintendents. It's always a political kind of atmosphere that they work in. For Mr. Runcie, in the last three years, it has been at such a heightened level because of what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And in the ensuing deep dive into the policy, this is a school district, this promise program kept coming up. Uh, the shooter was supposed to be part of it, wasn't. It's a program that really is set up to prevent otherwise good kids from going through a, a more serious criminal process when they just screw up a little bit the first time. You're a big supporter of that Promise program. Has, has your perspective changed with what you have seen the past couple of years? So I serve as a school board member uh, with a primary focus on educating students um, in the safest setting. And the Promise program has afforded us the opportunity to be able to continue to educate students while giving them a structure that allows them to make good choices going forward. And to me, that is the type of program that as a community, we should be behind so that we are truly preparing our students um, for a future and reaching their highest potential. And that really is the mission of the district. Yeah. You know, we should point out just sort of make sure that people understand we do not have you and Lori Aladev speaking together because that would be a violation of the Sunshine Law. Members of the same elected body may not appear outside of a regularly scheduled meeting. You know, uh, that is just uh, against the law. But let me ask you the question I asked Lori Aladev. Uh, and that is Mr. Runcie appears at this moment, if he does resign, to be leaving the school district with a payout of over $300,000. Are you good with that? So, um, I first of all, thank you for pointing out that we, we have this interview uh, separately, specifically to make sure that we are abiding by sunshine. Um, the reality is we do have a contract with Mr. Runcie, and I want to make sure that we are... Um, contractually doing what it is in our responsibility to do. Uh, we did afford uh, the chair the opportunity, as we have in the past with um, prior chairs, to negotiate with uh, the superintendent. And so I'm looking forward to what they come back to us with. I, I know that through the conversation that I have with my colleagues and the work that um, Dr. Osgood will do with Mr. Renzi, I'm sure they'll bring us back something that will give us an opportunity to really work through uh, what is fair. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to us having a collegiate conversation that brings us to a mutual agreement that is fair to both parties. You know, we have about 30 seconds left. Um, I know you probably heard Lori Aladef talk about wanting a leader that can rein in overspending and have more oversight of this bond program. Do you agree with that assessment? 
So I will tell you that what I looked for in a superintendent 10 years ago is very similar to what I'll be looking for today. I will be looking for someone who values our teachers and our staff, someone who is singularly focused on having every student reach their highest potential, certainly implementation of the strategic plan that the entire board has collectively come together to uh, create and endorse, and to also make sure that we complete the um, smart bond yeah. and that we are uh -huh. able to I'm, deliver. I, yes. I, I beg your pardon, we are out of time. We're very grateful you joined us this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Thank you both very much. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, and we'll be right back. We thank you so much for being here with us. We're online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.